Are you a sex worker looking to build a new website or a website redesign? Then you'll want to consider Fox Digital. They did a fantastic job designing my website, Stripped by Sia. If you want your website done, mention that you're a listener of the show at foxdigital.design for 20% off. Tell them I sent you. Welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am Steph Sia, that's my name. I also go by Kimchi on stage. Taking a little bit of a break for now. I'll be back on stage in January um, in case you're wanting to see me dance or come and chat with me about the show, which I also really love and enjoy. Um, you'll just have to wait another month until I'm back performing again. Um, and uh, in terms of other sex work experience, I was also a sugar baby for a number of years as well. And yeah, this is the show. It's a strip by Sia. It's a podcast for sex worker, sex workers, and basically basically the sex industry, all things adult, all corners of the industry, um, really, really bringing on like different guests to illustrate a really um, transparent approach when it comes to um, basically, yeah, what we do, how we operate, giving you the real truth, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And basically to give it a uh, basically all sex workers a voice uh, because a lot of the times we're silenced or we don't have a voice or we don't have a platform. So I decided to make one to, yeah, kind of destigmatize the work and whatnot. So if you're new here, that is that. Um, if you're not so new here, uh, feel free to fast forward two minutes because we're going to go into the whole thing. Um, shouting out our Patreon subscribers, those who are on those top level tiers. I just want to say hello to some new, newer um, subscribers there. So new patrons. Hello, Ted McGuire. Selena Money. I love that name. It sounds amazing. Um, of course, um, our loyal, loyal people from the very start uh, right here in Canada, Jay Sunsern. We have Arup Sarkar. We got Justin Erickson, who's also um, on the West Coast, but in Vancouver, Washington. And Snoo Snoo, who's listening all the way from Germany. I just want to say hello. Thank you so much for all your support, helping support the brand new shiny website that is now live, stripedbysia.com. Thank you so much. Um, the next round of money is hopefully going to go towards some new equipment, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens after that. And uh, last but not least, I would love to thank Skyhawk After Dark TV. It is an adult industry video cast and podcast network of shows that are similar to mine. And you can find some of our past guests on there as well. Again, just we're in a similar vein. Please listen. Please check it out. Skyhawkafterdark.tv. And lastly, if you haven't heard our brand new partner, Fox Digital, um, be uh, on the lookout. There's 20% off discount for anyone listening who needs a website, especially if you're a sex worker, um, or for anyone revamped. Uh, it is foxdigital.design. Thank you. Thank you. And now I've kept that under four minutes. Okay. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> that is a success. Um, I am really, really excited about today's episode. I'm super stoked to have this conversation and we're going to be talking about a bunch of things today, but basically working on the corporate side of adult, um, also talking about, you know, politics around that, you know, the stigma that comes to that as well. And what it, what is it really like on the other side, if there is a difference at all? And to kind of guide us into this conversation, I'm bringing on Vanessa Eve, who I'm super stoked to finally get on the show because I'm super inspired by her and the work she's doing. If you haven't heard of her, she is an ex-biz brand ambassador here back in 2021. Also, nominated this year as well. Be sure to go out and vote for her for all the hard work she is doing. She's a director of talent recruiting and also director of community relations in North America for 
StreamMate Network, which you may or may not have heard of, but um, one of the biggest camming platforms there is on there for private shows. So without further ado, Vanessa Eve, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Steph. It's so good to see you. I feel like we've been chatting like every week now. (laughs) It really does. And we just we keep up on Instagram, too. So, yeah, (laughs) doing all the things. And you do a lot of things, which is why I was just begging for you to come on the show, because you are a talented person that I'm just like, Wow, I'm just so inspired by you and everything that you do. Um, I feel like I was just like listing things off that uh, I found on you, like Linktree and whatnot. But I'd love for you to maybe introduce yourself to the audience as well, give yourself your own introduction, hype yourself up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I will try. Um Um, Yes. Well, thank you for having me again, Steph. I'm really excited to talk with you. I know we've also had some pretty compelling conversations just one-on-one, so I'm sure this one won't be any exception. Um, But my name is Vanessa, and I head up the North American Talent Division for the StreamMate Network, um, and I am their new Director of Community Relations. So I just transitioned into that role still touching on the talent side, but really my main focus is going to be all about community Um, and really bridging that divide too between what I've noticed over the years, which is, you know, this divide between companies and the performer community. We very much rely on one another, um, but at the same time, I don't know, there's always just been something missing. Um, And I realize that that, you know, it's the dialogue at the end of the day. Um, but we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Um, I'm based out of Seattle, Washington, and I grew up in Southern California. Um, I moved over to the South when I was in high school. So, um, Northeast Texas, Texas, Arkansas border, literally like the only Asian family (laughs) or one of two Asian families up in the area. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a mom of two uh, daughters. They are in middle school and elementary school. So uh, life these days, you know, there's no shortage of things to do or new projects or temper tantrums, middle school drama, you name it. You know, we're tackling it every day. You've got your hands full. I just still like, don't even know how you do it all. Uh, again, super inspired. And and congratulations on the new role, the new transition. We are definitely going to be talking about, you know, both the talent recruitment side and also going into your new role as in a community relations too, which I think is so, so fitting for you. Um, but without further ado, I, I know the audience is almost like, well, like what's with a relation to sex work and the adult industry and whatnot. And if we may, we'd love to hear your, your story, like your origin story. What's, what's your journey been like? Yeah. So, um, well, should, should I start from my time as a dancer, I guess? And it's really, it's almost just like, a flickering moment compared to my time working on more of the, you know, the business side. But I can tell you that, you know, looking back on those years, those are years that I remember with great fondness. Um, And also, you know, I was much younger than I am now. But at the same time, it's, it's like being a dancer really allowed me to learn a lot about myself. Um, you kind of learn that through talking with strangers. Um, and I was very much the dancer that wasn't necessarily like the hustler, you know, you see these girls like really hustling for dances, but I was also always more so the, the talker, um, and person that had more so regulars. So, you know, how are the kids and the wife and, um, and, yeah, so that time, you know, I I tried going back to dancing one time since then. And I realized that, wow, you know, there are much more regulations. I can't just like walk into a club anymore, but I needed to have, 
an actual um like a license like of it? some sort yeah. yeah and i did not i was not prepared for that so i was like wow um things have changed a little bit um but yeah that's something i'm always gonna look you know look back with great fondness but i started with streamy in 2009 um at the time i had just moved to seattle and i was also four months pregnant <laughs> with my daughter with my older daughter um and i was hired on in more of an admin position and within a year our hr director said you know this is an opportunity that has come up which i think might be you know you might be a great fit for and so um i talked with her as well as our marketing director and the owners of our company and they said you know basically that the vast majority of our client base at the time for Streamate was based out of the out of North America. And um, there weren't as many independent performers um, that were based out of North America at the time as there are now. So my job was essentially to recruit more North American talent. And I, you know, going into it, like I, I'm a dancer, I, you know, I had that that's what was part of my background, but I didn't really know too much about the whole camming landscape at the time, because it really was a lot more, um, I guess, obscure. It wasn't as prolific as it is now. Um, and so, you know, I started off like Googling the top 10 um, party schools in the US. And then from there, I called each of those schools to say, hey, um, I would like to put an ad in your student newspaper. And of course, the majority of them were like, no, the only place that said yes to me was UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And you know, naturally, <laughs> it makes sense. But they were like, you know, they're adults, they they have a right to choose, you know, the, these are their choices. So they have a right to do that if they want to. And I was like, wow, okay, UC Berkeley. But yeah. um, so cool. From there, it was really just like old school, like print ads. And so I realized too, it's really, really expensive to go that route. Um, I did ads in, um, in Seattle, it's The Stranger. So like alternative weekly magazines, um, as well as in The Village Voice in New York. And there were a few other uh, places in between uh, LA um, that I took ads out on, but it was like, I don't know, $1,400 or $1,700 to run it for like one week. But through that, I realized um, you get a free ad in Backpage.com whenever you oh. go that route at their online site. And I was like, oh, perfect. And then I was like, wait, what is Backpage? You know, I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't too familiar with that, but they had an adult section at the time. This was before FOSTA-SESTA and, um, you know, and I, and you could post ads in different markets. And so that's what I would do. My budget was probably closer to like 300 to 500 a month. That's what I was kind of aiming for because I didn't really know, um, you know, what, what to expect. But I, yeah, that afforded me to be able to post ads just across the US and also in other, other countries as well. Um, and then from there, you know, it, it uh, that was, I think the the turning point that was probably closer to 2010 2011 and then i linked up with sexy jobs um and they had like a five or six hundred dollar a month sponsorship and you could get your ad in like certain areas of the site but that's where i saw the big uptick of um you know people who were specifically looking for online sex work come into play um not only that but like even the some of the first signups I had were actual like porn stars just doing this as a side hustle. So, you know, around 2011, that wasn't really something that people did. They didn't really cross over that threshold, you know. Um, but yeah, so it, it really just kind of took off from there. Um, Sexy Jobs, actually, their their marketing director, he was hosting a panel at um, AVN Week in LA. So um, the in, the B2B part of that show is called Internext. And they have workshops about, you know, business and there's like, you know, peer networking. And that was the first show that I went to. Um, and my daughter, my second daughter had just been born by that point. Um, <laughs> she was really wow. little and she was breastfeeding exclusively. 
And so I was like, I'll just be gone for 24 hours. It won't be a big deal. Let me just do this panel real quick. Come back. Come to find out, you know, a few hours later, I get to the hotel and like my boobs are swollen and like I'm in the bathtub, like trying to milk myself because my boobs hurt so bad. Oh um, and then I go on this on this panel and um, I think that was, yeah, that was the first panel or maybe the second, I'm not sure. But I, I noticed that it was majority men in these rooms mm -hmm. and talking about talent, like, you know, they're like these aliens. And um, I don't know, I always just felt like it was such a disconnect, you know, like right. you're talking about it, but all of the nuances in between, like, that's what I wanted to hear about. Like, um, there's so much more I felt by that point that goes into, um, you know, working with talent specifically. Um, and so, yeah, that just led to other opportunities as far as like networking and getting to know, you know, expanding my, uh, I guess, my social network. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So I have so many questions that already like came from all of that. So okay. I'll, I'll try to start back in the beginning. Um, so yeah, those are really like traditional, like initially, those are really, really traditional marketing methods that you were using. Um, curious, uh, did you have any administrative or marketing experience coming into before like you worked at Streamlight Network or was it all like, I, this is a new job and oh, you're shaking your head. Yeah, no, I really, I really didn't. And I, there wasn't this like plan of action, you know, I wasn't given a, a, you know, an outline as far as even what I should be doing or where I should be going or, um, so it was very much learning in terms of the recruiting part, but also learning in terms of our platform because obviously once people sign up you know i'm not just going to leave them high and dry um so there was a lot of education on both ends for that yeah and especially because like camming at that point at that point wasn't like a huge thing as as it is now and you yourself hadn't even had any experience in the cam world as a model or being behind the camera as well so like i'm sure it was a lot of like oh my gosh i just gotta try to roll with it and try to learn as much as they can and like you know do as much research as, as you can on your own and also try to be confident <laughs> in your job even though you're kind of just like navigating blindly well, <laughs> yeah it, it very much so but well at the same time though I think all of the nuances of camming came later I think I went into it with the mindset that okay if I equip myself so I know the ins and outs of this platform. I can actually provide a service. I can actually help these people versus, you know, just being a shady salesman, getting people on board and then, you know, leaving them to fend for themselves, essentially. Yeah. So I think that that really was the um, what I what I attribute anyways to like, if you want to call it success or where I am today, that's that's definitely a big part of it. Oh, that is really uh, – yeah. I mean, like, to me, that's just part of the onboarding process or for for any company, um, really, because, like, you know, if you're a brand-new model or performer and stuff, like, you want to be able to be comfortable and, and not just try to just navigate yourself, although, like, a lot of us do uh, nowadays, but, like, it's a lot of trial and error. And I remember, like, when I first started camming, like, uh, back in 2020 because everything shut down, I was just, like – what do I do? And thinking it's so super simple. And there's a lot of things to consider, like your equipment, your lighting, your mic, um, even just like concealing um, identifiable things and whatnot and ensuring your safety. Like there's a lot of things that you should probably know before you jump with both feet in. So I really think it's admirable that you take that care and uh, you're able to kind of provide that service to the talent because I, mean, I feel like talent is so important <laughs> and yeah we get lost sometimes in absolutely um, are yeah yeah what was striking to me was seeing people who turned 18 years old and like a week later they're signing up for this cam site that kind of freaked me out a little bit because I'm like, was this a well thought out decision, you know? And so 
I felt, I don't know if it's like the, the motherly instinct or what, but, um, you know, I felt compelled to like, you know, have either the one-on-one with them or like give them as much information as possible and let them know you have someone here if you need to talk to. Um, yeah, that was a little <laughs> concerning. <Something>. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, and like that, I kind of shared that as well, like when I was a sugar baby too, because I like entered the sugar world when I was like 24 and then just hearing stories and just chatting with other like sugar babies within the sugar bowl that were like fresh out of high school. And I'm just like, mm. <laughs> like, hmm, can like, let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> let me give you a bit of insight. <laughs> but um, Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's actually one route I didn't really get to explore too much. I had girlfriends that were more into, um, you know, like they were sugar babies and they would take me along some sometimes as like the token, I don't know, like hot friend or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) or maybe just also to make them feel a little bit more comfortable, like on their dinner dates. And I didn't mind, like, you know, the guys weren't necessarily interesting, but they were characters. <laughs> and at the time, I was like, you know, free food and drinks. So. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes it's, it was great to be the plus one. Like, yeah, the best pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sorry, now I'm going out of order again, but going back to like – your upbringing and where you lived and and whatnot. There's so many layers there. And if you've listened to the show a lot, um, you'll know that I love kind of like digging a little deeper here as well. And we've had these deep conversations. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, uh, yourself growing up in SoCal and then moving to Texas and being one of those only Asian families within who knows how many miles, like how isolating was that or how or not I'm not even going to say isolating I want like how did that can you describe to me like how that felt like not having anyone there to like look up to or having your role models etc yeah I mean my family and uh, my parents on both sides we have they have huge families right like and like 20 cousins and like you know they each have like six to seven brothers and sisters and Um, In San Diego, we were all very close, you know, the kind of families that like, you know, they have barbecues on the weekends, everyone gets together. You know, I feel like my aunts and uncles also helped to raise me a lot of the time since I was just over there so much. (laughs) And so moving away, that was very difficult. But moving away to an area, it's not where we ultimately ended up moving. But initially, I remember my dad bringing home these pamphlet, these folding pamphlets for a town called Mount Pleasant, Texas. And, you know, it had like trees in the pamphlet and it just sounded so quaint. I don't know. But um, we did not move to Mount Pleasant. We moved a little bit more east and it was like a really, really small town. Like, I think like 2300 is the population. What? So you talk about culture shock, like my first day uh, or my first week at that school, I remember this girl named Tracy coming up to me and it's like, what, you're you're too good to hang out with your own kind? I was like, what the hell? Like she was talking about like black and white and there was, I wouldn't say there was a divide, but I don't know. I didn't understand like, why does this bother you so much that I'm like hanging out with like these white girls you know Mm -hmm. and then um she was scary too like she was like really tall and like and um domineering but yeah that was like I guess kind of a a taste of what life would be like (laughs) at that school yeah so terrifying and high school already in general is an experience (laughs) yeah I, I mean I think I did okay for what it was but it you know, even in recent years, like looking back at that time and realizing like how I tried to um, present myself or fit in so that I wouldn't stick out any further than I already stuck out. Um, You know, I think that that's, it was eye opening, like uh, coming to those realizations now as an adult. Totally, totally. And 
I'm sure like you weren't dancing in this town because I can't imagine there were any clubs in this town. <laughs> like, no, no, definitely. I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe there there might have been something, but I'd imagine like moonshine would be served or something like that. I no, it was super small town, lots of county roads. Um, I moved to Dallas, the Dallas area to go to college. And uh, that's around the time that I started dancing. A girlfriend and I, um, you know, we were like, let's go try out to be cocktail waitresses because we were broke. You know, my parents, they didn't give me, they, they gave me what they could. They got me to school, but, you know, it, it was really up to me at that point to make any kind of money. So I didn't tell them, though, that, you know, I was going in to rehearse for this. Um, but my friend and I, yeah, we rehearsed to be cocktail waitresses and then they tried to get us to be dancers. And then I like sneakily went back without her um, after they hired us as cocktail waitresses. And I went to a different club and it's still there to this day. But um, I tried out to be a dancer, which was basically consisting of like the GM or whoever was on staff that day. They just like made you get undressed and... He was like, oh, you have a very tight little package. And I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> and that was it, you know, no like floor, you know, pole skills, no nothing required. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Back in the day, hey? Back in the day, yeah. I have a feeling they have much higher standards these days. But <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, yeah. Like, and, and during this time, you said that you, your parents didn't know that you were dancing. No. Right. No, they didn't know. They thought I was working at a gym. I don't know. I just, I, you know, your parents well, you know how they're going to react and what they can handle. And so I'm like, do I need to absolutely tell them right now? No, I don't. Um, so I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, somehow my other family members found out. Um, so I'm, and which I didn't really care. They were mostly people, my, my cousins, my age, Mm-hmm. And they thought it was so cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, outside of that, no one really knew. No, and I respect that too. And like, I don't know, maybe it's just different in Asian cultures or like, I don't know, specifically Filipino culture. Like there are certain things that you you can divulge to your parents and certain things like, you know, maybe it's best not. It's just like not the right conversation to have and whatnot. So yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. This is probably going to be one of those things that goes nowhere, you know, Yeah. other than just in a bad place. So I'm just going to leave it right now. And I, and I left it and I'm glad, I'm glad looking back that I made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I've said this before, I think when, in our last talk, like honesty is not always like the best policy, you kind of have to gauge those situations as much as you want to. Like as much as you want to be honest and open and just have that closeness, sometimes that can destroy that closeness. And like that's my relationship kind of with my mom. Like I'm super close to her, but I just know like this kind of information would probably like break her a little bit. And she's very like highly religious, like super Catholic and very traditional. And I'm just like, I really don't want to have to interfere with that. So for anyone listening, because I know people always ask me like, oh, do your parents know and all that stuff? It's a yes and no. But anyways, (laughs) that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) They don't always always need to know. And I guess, you know, if, if you're an adult too, then you can choose to make, you know, d- the decisions on your own, just as long. I mean, I think about too, like my daughters, if they were to do something like, you know, follow the path that I did, then it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I just have to respect their decisions just as long as they're not doing anything harmful to themselves, right? The best that you could do is guide them. But no, there would be no guidance if I told my parents. It would be like, yeah, no, you know, (laughs) and you're going to hell and all that stuff. (laughs) I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) We're like, nope. Just sounds like we're in like high school again. I'm like, nah, not not here for that. I mean, on that vein, because you're a parent yourself as well, like there are so many layers with that too um, in terms of 
being a parent and having kids and working an, at an adult company, I mean, have these conversations ever come up? Because unfortunately, such a mundane, normal question for people when you meet people, it's almost like, what do you do for work? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, of course, it's come up. Not the adult part, but just what do you do again? Like, I feel like they're that they start asking that with more suspicion <laughs> as they've gotten older. Like, there's more to this story that you're just not letting on to, you know? Like, <laughs> but no, I've, I've definitely, uh, it seems to me like some parents in the adult space are open because I don't know, maybe they can be. But for me personally, I'm choosing to refrain from going all out with that until they get older. Um, because right now, I don't think that they are necessarily, maybe my older daughter, but at the maturity level, you know, to really comprehend what that means. But at the same time, um, you know, just the external factors, like if they were then to go tell so-and-so, you know, I don't want them to be discriminated against, nor do I want to bring that on my family by, you know, by, by telling them and then they'll tell other people and things get misconstrued or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. That can really catapult uh, into something else too. I mean, like, and with like other, other parents or other adults, like have you ever been questioned yourself um, in terms of like, what company is that? Or like, what do they do? And, and stuff like that. Some of their friends, like the, um, my kids, friends, parents that I've gotten close to, I've told a, a few of them. And for the most part, I think they were just mostly curious about, whoa, you know, what does that even mean? And like, um, I think the part about social media in particular, like working with influencers, that part, I think, is where, where they, what they clung on to and they related to. Most of the parents in this area tend to be a lot older than me. Most of my daughter's friends' parents are like in their 50s. Um, and so, and I'm 30, I just turned 37 last month. And so um, it seems to be a point of pride for my kids that I'm like a young mom. But <laughs> at the same time, um, yeah, I think these other parents, sometimes it feels like they kind of turn to me about certain things because they feel I'm more in tune with what's going on with social media and like, you know, the dangers of being online. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, again, that whole education part, kind of like on the platform, um, you know, <laughs> I talk however I can. <laughs> Yeah. That's really cool. Really, really cool. And I'm sorry that we went so far on these tangents, but I just had so many questions. But I mean, going back to the roots and kind of going back to your story and like the work that you do and how you've evolved and how your roles have grown. Um, I was curious, um, maybe you want to quickly like talk about like, well, one, um, the position that you're kind of transitioning out of talent recruitment for adult, and then what community relations, what, what does that mean for those listening who might not know what those terms mean? Yeah. Um, well, you know, they, so I started in the talent recruiting side in 2010, um, March of 2010. And then it was only within like, like literally last month that I transitioned and I didn't, you know, make a big stink of it or anything like that, because I feel like, what I'm doing now is basically what I was doing before. It's just a lot more focused. Um, so with talent recruiting, that touched it, like that, that expanded into something. It's not just like literally bringing people on the site, but it's very much to me anyways, about building relationships. Um, and that's really, you know, I, I, I remember being at a party in Miami during like a trade show and a person that I worked with um, at the time, he like was there at the party with some hot young person. And he was like, you need to recruit her, do your job. Like, you know, like on the spot. And I was like, this is not how I do things, you know? Um, but no, it's like, 
that and that seems to kind of be the attitude is like, oh, you're a recruiter, you're like a shark, like a salesman. And I that is like the complete antithesis of how I chose to approach any of this, because if you if you think about it, you know, it's it's sex, you know, it's like one of the most intimate personal things. And to be sharing that with strangers online, that's not something I think you should really just enter into lightly. And so um, I've been cognizant about, you know, the sensitivities that come along with this form of work um, and the vulnerabilities and then all of the struggles that come along with that, that can, you know, not that it's all doom and gloom, but at the same time, I, I've seen that and I, you know, without being that person, I can empathize with that. Um, and so, you know, talent recruiting, it turned into just opportunities to like host events or host discussions like me uh, wondering like, oh, why, why is this the way that it is? Why did you choose to go into this? What do you get out of this, uh, you know, form of, of work, especially with so many hurdles that our industry faces, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like the stuff that I did, uh, during like trade shows or, or panels, those are just like the icing on the cake. It really is. It's, it's so much fun, but, um, <laughs> focusing on community, you know, the elevate, um, and tea time, those are kind of my two babies. And, um, I'm really thankful that, you know, my, the company that I work for, they allow me to just kind of go with these crazy ideas sometimes. Um, because I can sense a little bit of hesitancy, but at the same time, it's, I feel like it's more of a trustful thing. Like, okay, we know that you have like the, the, the right intentions going into this. Um, but yeah, just really like working with talent, um, since 2010, I have noticed this kind of like attitude and this lack of dialogue in general between, platforms, companies, you know, and, and performers. Um, And that seems like, just from everything I've seen that performers in particular really wanted um, that transparency, they wanted to be able to, they, they didn't even know, like, who's behind the platform that they've been working for, for so many years. So I realized that Streaming in particular, you know, we did we we haven't really been out about well, what are what is our cultural identity? You know, uh, what what matters to us, and how can we express our care for the performer community specifically? Um, so through Tea Time, through Elevate, um, you know, that, that that's kind of my way of bridging that divide. Hopefully, oh no, absolutely, and like. Yeah, there is a big gap. There is a big, big divide sometimes between like the talent and like corporate side. And what drew me to you and we'll kind of also have the opportunity to tell the audience what tea time is and what Elevate is shortly. Um, But I remember like when you reached out uh, to me and and chatted with me over over Zoom, I was just like, corporate people care about us? Because <laughs> like that was so foreign to me because I had never seen that before. And of course, like I come from a corporate background, so I'm so used to, you know, this being part of their mission statement and this is what our values are. But I never see anything like that on a corporate side of adult. So like when I think of the corporate side of adult, I just think like dollars and, and money and like ROI and all that kind of stuff. So it's like really, really refreshing to see that change. So, oh, yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's also reassuring to me too that I'm just not coming off as like some skeezy, you know. Salesman, I don't think I would, but you know. So this is a part that I've actually struggled. Like there, there's been a lot of inner conflict for me, um, toggling between the two because on you know my job is very much about yes, like representing a company, but at the same time it's also about keeping 
you know, serving the, the performers that I am working with. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes those two things aren't always simpatico. You know, those two, two things aren't always in alignment. The decisions that are made sometimes by my company, for instance, I'm not always in personal agreement with. Um, or, you know, I don't always feel like I'm in complete alignment with it. But at the same time, I need to, I, I've had to keep in mind, like, okay, objectively, like, where does this fall on the spectrum, you know, and like, it, it, does this mean, is this something that maybe needs to be reevaluated? How do I communicate this to the people um, that I'm working with, you know, and I don't, I'm not in the business of like, sugarcoating or concealing things i'm i'm also like really terrible at lying about about things um so i just you know sometimes things are just out of my hands and i used to beat beat myself up a lot because it's like oh you know you're betraying you're like you know the inner dialogue would be like you're betraying your you know the performer community or or whatever um you know like or you're you're like a sell you're selling yourself out, you know, for the sake of corporate blah, blah, blah. And it's not a great feeling, but at the same time, I've had to learn over the years that just, you know, you do what you can, but sometimes things are just going to be out of your hands. And I know the people at Streamate, they're, they are making the best decisions that they can for the business as a whole. But I need to then like take that information and it's like, okay, how does this apply to performers, you know, Um, and like, what are the, uh, the repercussions, you know, what are, what is the cause and effect um, for these certain decisions? And yeah, it's, it's not always been easy, but you, I I guess that's the part about working with a corporation or, or a bigger company that I'm thankful for is it's been an, a really excellent learning opportunity to learn how to navigate through these situations where, you know, there is this kind of push-pull uh, relationship going on. And a lot of times I see, especially on the performer end, um, you know, that there is like fl- frustration um, and there is even anger and hostility sometimes. And as someone who is like on the public facing end, you kind of absorb that because of the fact that, it, well, you're just associated with this company, you're, you know, you're just another one of those like monkeys like that mm-hmm. just you know, part of this company. Um, but I'd like to think that not just the relationships I've built, but really just like the dialogue that I have um, in particular with performers, like if anything that can just give them some sort of reassurance it's like that you're being heard you know that you're whatever you have to say matters um obviously i can't do that for everybody but you know um when it warrants it absolutely so but yeah like um the anger the hostility like i've had to learn that it's not me don't like take that on i can't take all of that on it's not you know it's just the position that i'm in Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's been probably the, the hardest learning lesson, navigating through all this and toggling between the two. That sides. is really hard. Like, cause it really sounds, and it's really apparent to me that you really care about the performer side and just being in the recruitment side for so long, like you really have established those relationships with the performers. So it's like really uh, natural to feel that closeness, but also very defensive and maybe not defense is not the right word, but protective maybe of, you know, wanting to, to, for them to speak out or wanting them to feel like their voices have been heard and whatnot. But again, I will reiterate that I really do feel like it, like you do care about the community a lot and it shows in the initiatives that you started like tea time, like elevate. And we've thrown those two words around three words, technically three words around um, a couple times already, but for those listening in the audience, can you let people know what your two initiatives, Tea Time and Elevate, are? Yeah. So Tea Time, it, it started in January of 2022, um, and it was really just a series of monthly um, virtual events. 
since that's just the easiest since all of our community is just all over the place. Um, so a series of virtual events. And we talk about everything from lifestyle, business, and you know, mental health, everything in between. Um, that would also relate to the performer community. Um, and so sometimes we'll have panels with speakers and sometimes it's just an open community discussion, just depending on the topic for that for that particular um, segment. And then for Elevate, it's something that I am like, so I'm super proud of it, even though it's in such an, a, a fledgling infancy state even now. But we launched it in September of 2022, so just a few months old. And um, it's a really tight group of, of women behind it. Um, Jackie and Daisy Ducati. Um, and I'm so grateful to Daisy for like understanding, you know, what the what the vision was and like jumping on board. But essentially, um, you know, it's a way to highlight people within our industry and um, who are adjacent to our industry who are just doing positive things for their community um, or for the adult community. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was important because a lot of the times what I noticed is, especially when it comes to like, you know, the main stage of adults, that those opportunities for visibility tend to be really limited um, unless you're just networked into the right spaces or you know the right people or, you know, you work. I mean, I've seen people in this industry working so hard all, you know, for a long period of time, but they don't necessarily get like that recognition. Um, and so, you know, why not highlight people who are actually like working to make a, a positive impact, um, you know, for for our community or within their local communities. So really just like tapping into more of the humanity behind this industry too. Mm -hmm. um, I think for, especially on the mainstream facing side, that's something that they might not always be attuned to unless they know a sex worker or they know someone who works within this space. So yeah, those are, those are my yeah. two big focuses right now. And then of course, you know, there's other projects, but those are the two main ones for streaming <laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh, amazing. And like, I mean, that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> uh, through <anime. laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess. On the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just realized, wow, the world is really small because like we actually knew so many other people as well. Like um, you also yeah. had, um, I guess for October it was uh, Nikita. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was like, oh my God. Well, I didn't realize that she had done a podcast with you previously. Like I was going through your stuff and I, I was like, oh my God, small world, but also PS group. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> shout out to Carly. She gets another shout out. Yes, what's up? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all kind of like interconnected and stuff too. So like, I mean, I just think it's super great and just so freaking cool what you're doing. And I'm just, like, I guess by the time this episode comes out, it will be December. So I guess we can kind of talk about it briefly. But I guess, yeah, um, I might, I, I don't know, it just feels weird to like talk about myself. But yeah, I'll be the partner for December, which is like really freaking cool and exciting. And like, again, thank you for connecting and just giving me the opportunity because I am a one woman show that does this every week for the past three years and a completely indie and just like really small and tight knit that it's just me doing everything. So, so thank you because like small people like me in a, in a pond, in a big pond is, it, it can be really intimidating. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that you took notice, people are taking notice and thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you too. You know, we're, we're still kind of, the little engine that could, but I like it that whenever we do these, you know, community partnerships every month, that it actually gives us an opportunity to like get to know you a lot better. And it's very much, um, you know, a collaboration versus like, okay, just give me your content and we'll post it. <laughs> you know, 
Definitely not like that. I would hope it would be a little more meaningful than that. So yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it's it's super really like super amazing that you're doing something like this because as I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I don't see adult companies doing anything like this. Or if they are, I just haven't heard anything about it. And I just really feel like it would be a great way to elevate themselves too um, as a platform if, if um, they were able to do and um, kind of uplift with this kind of initiative so I, I hope that more companies will follow suit because I think what you're doing is like you're really paving the way and making a difference so yeah but that's the hardest thing though is like you know I want to um and this is something that's come up in conversation too it's like I want to do I want to like make it the best you know but at the same time it really is just like the the three of us ladies um and so I think we're doing a, a really great job. I would definitely like to see it like continue to expand, but I'm just so grateful that, you know, people like you, you know, that you get it. And, um, and, you know, you're just even at the earlier stages, like you're, you're willing to work with us too. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> no, it's just awesome. I mean, like, again, I, we could just keep, like, showering each other with praise. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but um, – and and also tea time, too, because, like, tea time is also really great. I, I've loved the conversations that you've had. And if you haven't got a chance to listen, I could post a few links um, in the show notes below so you can kind of get a taste um, for what these conversations are about. And I really enjoy them because I really – kind of dig deeper and it's not so service level and it's really like a nice intimate conversation uh tackling some hard truths or having um uh, tackling some challenging um issues and whatnot so so yeah. we need to have more of those conversations because they affect us so much we've definitely gotten pretty deep in some of these conversations for sure and it almost felt like even therapeutic i feel for you know, some of the people involved, like just being able to let it out and let out, you know, what's like the real shit that's actually going on in their life. I, I appreciate it when people can like open up like that. Um, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, just keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear more of your upcoming projects. We'll have to definitely keep us posted. But I think it's the part of the time in the episode where we answer user and like fan <laughs> submitted questions at this point. So we'll kind of get into it. And we've got some really great questions here as well. So this, yeah, this one comes from Galigo Smash on Instagram. Um, they are writing in what surprised you when you started working for an adult company? And I guess more so on the exec side. Um, what surprised me was, I don't know if this was a surprise, but it might be a surprise to other people that it's super like regular schmegular, normal office, like very boring <laughs> and it looks like an office. Well, whenever we were working in the office anyways, <laughs> most of us are, have gone remote since the pandemic, but, um, yeah, it's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> It's regular people. No, no surprises there. <laughs> no, no. Oh, well, because it's a it's a tech company, really. So this particular company, and so you know, a lot of developers, developer types, kind of thing. Yeah, not so. Um, I guess glamorized is probably people would assume. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're working in the adult industry, exactly. <laughs> Um, next question came from Twitter. So, and we kind of talked about the most challenging part, but um, what was the most challenging part of your transition into the corporate side of the adult industry? And how did you work through slash overcome it for the best? How did I work through? Um, a challenge to, well, I, I wouldn't say it's a transition only because like whenever I was dancing, it, it's not like those two things were back to back, you know, it had been a few years. And, um, but yeah, I would, I would still say like what I, what I mentioned earlier, the, the toughest part is really just toggling between the two, um, you know, representing a company 
and uh, and their messaging and all of that and assuming, you know, because like as a as a representative, um, as an individual representative, um, you know, everything that that company stands for, that's what people tend to see in you, I guess, if they don't, if they've never met you, or they just don't really know you like that. They just assume that, you know, you're this like extension of a company, but they don't necessarily see you for you. So I think that 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 part is personally um, what I what I struggled with um, is not being seen as an individual who happens to work for a company and is like trying to do this job and make these two things work together harmoniously. Right. Yeah. I guess it's just the affiliation and people see the sticker and the label of like, okay, she works for this big corporation and you don't have uh, any kind of individuality or personality or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And you take that on for better or for worse, like whatever they just assume about that company you know, like, I don't know anyone that works at Target or Costco, you know, I can. <laughs> so but, you know, with as much money as I spend at Target with for my kids, especially like, I can only imagine like what people probably assume of me. And they've also let me know that. Um, but, you know, I, sh- I, I really can't like internalize that and beat myself up about it. No, no, because there very much is like a separation too. Good. And there has to be a separation too, like not being able to take that work home with you and, you know, can't be, can't take everything so personally, right? So. Yes. Yeah. And those are the types of things I don't think that you can necessarily like just train people up on, but those are the kinds of things that you need to learn through just experiences, you know, just being thrown in the fire. At one point, I don't know how, but at one point I was handling Streamate's Twitter account, which was like, you know, you talk about, (laughs) we know now, but it was still kind of the same back then. Like people will just like let you have it if things are not working the way that they need it to work. And it's like on one hand, yes, I, I get it and I understand the frustration. And then you do the steps that you can to, you know, at least uh, make sure that this is reconciled sooner than later. But really, you just have to leave it at that. But then, you know, is like the influx of once people know who's like behind that account, especially, then it it got pretty nasty sometimes. And I didn't it's it it was a difficult position. So like kudos to the company uh, representatives who are doing social media, because that shit is hard. Hard, 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 hard. hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, any kind of like customer service role is hard. And, you know, that kind of relates to sex work too, because a lot of our work is like nourishing and maintaining those relationships and trying to keep people happy and our fans happy too. So, like, we can, yeah, yeah, we can get the brunt of it sometimes too in, in other <laughs> different ways. <laughs> Yeah, people will just say anything. They're empowered to say anything online without regard to like, you know, who's absorbing that on the other side. Not that I would have, you know, expected any kind of sympathy or whatever, you know, it's not that. It's just, it was a lot to take on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the last couple of questions here. Um, I guess this kind of goes in with our conversation as well. Uh, This also comes from Twitter. When it often feels like corporations and sex work don't listen or support the sex workers that work for them, how do you balance having been on each side? Is it hard to make the switch to prioritize corporate needs over the human needs? It's kind of an assumption, I think, that last bit of it, uh, like because it's basically insinuating that I am – that that is what I'm doing, um, which I don't feel like that's what I'm doing, because at the end of the day, everyone has the ability to make their own personal choices and what works best for them, you know, um, and sometimes it just it works out and then sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, we have to be OK with that if it's just not right for us. Um, but 
what was the question? What was the beginning oh, part of that? Right, yeah, that, that was a two-parter <laughs> and they're long. Okay. Too. Um, the first part of the question was, when it often feels like corporations and sex work don't listen or support the sex workers that work for them, how do you balance having been on each side? Yeah, I do, it's, it's a difficult balance um, sometimes. Um, I've learned to kind of do it my own way over time, but um, yeah, I, I, I feel you on that in terms of like not, and that's the sentiment that I've, I feel like I've gotten a lot over the years is like, you don't feel heard, you don't feel a part of this process, yet these things are like being built out for you without you being involved in the process. And I completely, I've seen that and I don't disagree. Um, it's a very valid thing, I think, that just across our industry is that performers are not involved in these decisions. Um, but, you know, I have seen a lot more performers getting involved behind the scenes, whether people know it or not. Um, you know, I try to look for opportunities too to bring people on board to consult for different things if I can, or if that's a, if that's a possibility, it doesn't always work out. But like, you know, to say that I, I tried. Um, but no, I think that it's becoming a lot more of a normal practice to get performers involved because companies are realizing just the value in that kind of feedback and all of these nuanced things that they might have overlooked, you know, payment, um, what what it what the stress levels can escalate to if certain things aren't working right or if things just don't make sense or you know all of that so um yeah i think that it's slowly becoming more of a normal part of the process for performers to be involved behind the scenes mm -hmm. um, but we definitely have a little bit more work to do on that end fellows room for improvement right but i'm i'm glad to hear that you're starting to incorporate more um, performers and like trying to consult with them and certain projects and whatnot, which I think is a step in the right direction. So yeah. can't be mad at that. It might not always be like the most, you know, cuddly, uh, fuzzy feelings, you know, all the feels like partnership, but like even in, in, in circumstances where you are asked to give your feedback, you know, that's not just like, oh, well, you know, they just want like a free, like, I, that's, I, I feel like that is a low, um, like, a, just an easier way for companies to at least like hear directly from their communities versus just hearing it secondhand, you know, after on Twitter, after things go awry, or, you know, this, they realize that, oh, this maybe wasn't the best decision. Um, because we didn't consult with our community first. So like feedback forms, even though those are like super like not exciting or anything like that, but um, they really do help the people on the back end a lot. There you go. So fill out those forms. Don't just press submit. <laughs> yeah. People are paying attention, believe, believe it or not. So I mean, they don't always like, you know, the wish list of things, it, it might not always make sense or maybe not make sense right away, but though there are always things that are taken into consideration. So just keep that in mind anytime that you're asked for your feedback. Amazing. Well, that is all we have time for today. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I I'm really glad we had this conversation. I really hope this gives people a bit more insight on like your day in the life, um, <laughs> working on the exact side. So, um, but before I let you go, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at it's ITS Vanessa Eve. And um, if you're on XBiz, then check out my XBiz profile too. Just go to xbiz.net and search for my name and we'll be able to connect there as well. 
Perfect. And don't forget to vote for Vanessa as well <laughs> for Brand Ambassador of the Year on XBiz. Uh, I'll be sure to pop that link in the bio as well. And for everyone else listening at home, it's if you want to get in contact with me, it's Stripped by Sia on Instagram and on Twitter. My new website is out. It's www.strippedbysia.com. And if you are interested in uh, supporting the podcast in any way, and in terms of like financially, you can become a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> it is patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. And be sure to check out Elevate, where I am, I guess, the brand partner for this month. Yes. It's Beyond Sex Work on Twitter, on Instagram. I'll be going on live, I think, at some point this week. And next week at the time of these this uh, at the time of this being released, I'll be on live. I think on the Wednesdays, which I finally picked out my dates, which I have to email to you, Vanessa. (laughs) (laughs) Really looking forward to that part. I'm also looking forward again. Thank you. And um, again, five stars, rate five stars, and where am I? Apple Podcasts, via Spotify, write a review on there. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So yeah, stay tuned for the next episode next Sunday, dropping at midnight. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Dabrin.